Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. It has been a while. We've been on a break here for a few months. But because we've been on a break, that means there's plenty to talk about. And I'm happy to restart the podcast after a hiatus with my good friend and colleague, Karen Thompson. So Karen is a colleague of mine who's actually based out of Kentucky. And she's very well positioned to have the conversation we're going to have today, which is an update around PFAS. You've heard from another colleague of mine, Kayla Turney, on this podcast way, way back when things were still developing. Things certainly are still developing and always changing around PFAS, but I think we've got more to update you on in the way of some regulatory developments at this point in time. So Karen, it's good to have you. It's good to do the podcast together. I'm going to get right into it unless there's anything you want to say about PFAS very, very broadly. It's good to be here, Colin. Very briefly, we are talking about the PFAS as a group of chemicals. Uh, Just keep that in mind as we go through this podcast. Excellent. All right, Karen, let's get right into it. I've got a few questions that I think maybe we just navigate through. And for the listeners, I think what you're going to get is just a good current state of events around PFAS right now, and just some things you can do at this moment in time to uh, prepare and plan ahead. So Karen, let's just start really big picture from a regulatory perspective. How are some of the different programs out there handling PFAS regulations? Where, Where do we have regulation coming up versus maybe where do we just have guidance is maybe another way to ask that. Um, that's a great question. And we're in the middle. We're, we're right smack in the middle. Um, we have some programs out there that have regulatory limits well established now. Um, and we have other programs that we're in a holding pattern to wait to see if we're going to be regulated under those, those particular programs. So a lot of things in the, in the hopper, but, um, it's a mixed bag at the moment. We have some states. Uh, that are regulating PFAS, um, even though the federal uh, government may not have set particular limits. But let's look at some of the bigger picture programs. Um, We do have beginnings of TOSCA programs. So we are looking at TOSCA limits for and the production of certain chemicals um, under PFAS. So those are established in the workplace. Whether you can manufacture them or not, at what concentrations we are looking at, what needs to be on those SDS sheets. We are now reporting under um, TRI. Um, Everybody gets to do that July 1, which is very interesting coming up because um, if you did list under or did report under TRI, you'll note that you're um, reporting in other areas let's take hazardous waste. Um, You may have disposed of PFAS under TRI, but you may not have reported that under your RICRA reporting requirements because it's not listed as a hazardous waste. 
currently. So it's not listed as a waste, therefore you're not reporting it, but you are reporting disposal under TRI. So this is where we're going to get into the finer points of what program do you fall under? What what does your data say? So be careful about those as we move move into this new area of regulatory um, confusion for some people. Where are you reporting? How are you reporting? They may not add up for the next few years until things are settled out. So we are seeing regulatory limits under water for drinking water under our MCLs. They are proposed. They are out there. We will see some additional discussion on that. We have several states that may be below that. We have several states that are above that. And we have states that are still waiting to see. So we're still waiting to hear from EPA um, whether we're going to finalize rules under CERCLA for Superfund sites. Um, Is it a hazardous substance under CERCLA? Do you need to report it during a spill? We're still waiting to see how that's going to look under RICRA as far as is it going to be a hazardous waste and are we going to regulate it as a waste? Um, So those are things to wait and see. Um, What are we doing next? Those are big questions, I guess. So, Karen, let me recap a little bit just to make sure I've got it. So the ones we just talked about anyway, and this list is not necessarily exhaustive. Maybe there's some other things out there, but these are the big ones. So Tosca developing, Mm -hmm. um, TRI currently reporting uh, on the water side, maybe geographic patchwork uh, in some cases, or we have the federal, we have a federal proposal, I guess, but then in certain geographies, some different or more stringent things may be happening. Is that a good way to say Um, it? Yes. Under the state uh, for water regulations, they're in um, states. So it's actively being enforced. Okay. And then just to expand just real quick, just to make sure for our listeners, the CERCLA uh, RECRA piece right now. What's the proposal under right now? And I know we're going to talk more about this. Right. So this is where it kind of gets kind of iffy. Yeah. Um, so CERCLA, you know, we're just talking about the Superfund law here. Um, so it's liability um, and it's reporting requirements um, that you've reported your spills, you're cleaning them up. And the federal government and a lot of states want a mechanism to be able to go in and apply money and and do cleanups on PFAS. So they're looking for that to be under CERCLA. However, that is a strict liability. Um, So whoever whoever owns it, operates it, touches it, um, and this applies, this is where it's going to get sticky under other rules like your POTWs, your water treatment plants um, that may be just passing water through and treating it that would contain PFOS. Now they have a waste and they're now responsible for it. Under CERCLA, they have as much responsibility as, say, the manufacturer. So um, those are the things that people are kind of waiting to see what develops under CERCLA, how that gets out there. It hasn't been published. That's one of the things that everybody wants to see is how are we dealing with these public service utilities, Um, your water treatment plants. You know, 
these are your local communities. They don't have money. Um, and you're now telling them that everything that they've processed over the last 50 years um, could be considered responsible. They are a responsible party for any of the PFOS that left their plant. So we're working through that. A lot of lawyers working on that versus, you know, so strict liability and cleanup. You go back to, let's say, RICRA. RICRA is a process. And, and we're manufacturing, we're disposing, and this is current under generator status rules. Um, having that listed as a characteristic waste or a listed waste, um, that has not happened yet either. Um, but some people are pushing for that so that it would be under corrective action. And um, we would be auditing and disposing of PFOS in a particular manner, going to a particular site, being processed in a particular way for final disposal. So we're waiting to see how that fits in also. Because if you list it as a hazardous waste, then you're going to set limits. And those limits may be different from water regulations or other things that are out there because you're looking at toxicity levels um, and disposal. So one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, the so we've got these different programs and different different stages, I would say. So I had a broad question about just what are some of the things that we should consider as we're surveying this landscape and as these regulations are being developed. So I'll ask you that broadly, but then maybe also, and this could be what, what you would touch on, is like, given the, given the RECRA piece and the circle, like, if I'm sitting here operating a landfill or, or you know, accepting waste or what, like, what, I guess, what, what are the things we can do here? What are the things we should be thinking about? Or do we really need to see this develop? Do we need to wait for these conversations with, or maybe we can converse with EPA. I'm sure that's happening from both a legal and a technical perspective. So I had just asked like four questions in one, um, yeah. but what's on your mind? Let's break it down a little bit. Um, let's start with what can you do proactively? Um, there are certain things that we can do prior to regulations. Um, that does put people kind of in a position of thinking about um, liability. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you want to be proactive and where do you want to wait and to make sure that you're, you are consistent with any regulation that's out there? And that's always important. So this is not a one-size-fits-all. But for uh, manufacturing um, facilities, for landfills are, are getting get together. They know how they're going to be uh, regulated when it all comes said and done. But for those of us that are out there in the community, maybe we're, we have water intakes. We're worried about what water we're bringing into our site, and then we're going to have to discharge it. Um, maybe we do have PFOS somewhere in our system. Maybe it's um, a component of a piece of equipment. Maybe it's a component of one of the materials that we have in our plant. There's all kinds of ways that you can have PFOS available in, in your plant and have to deal with it. So a couple things to keep in mind. If you're building a greenfield and you know you have PFOS, 
um, or you're doing an expansion, you know, you have PFOS, you're one of those industries that, that yes, you know, you're going to have PFOS coming through your, your system, your wastewater system or your waste. And I would say this may more for wastewater at this point, design for it. Um, look at the proposed regulations, start talking to the regulators. You're going to be getting a new permit at, and it's possible that if you're in a state that's not regulating PFOS right now, um, they shortly will be. But if you're already there with uh, regulators that are, you know, states that are regulating, then back up and talk to them, see that what you're going to need. If you're not in a state that's regulating, go talk to them, get with your consultant, get with your designers, see what you need to put in because retrofitting a new facility or a recent large expansion is harder to do than if you plan it on the front end. Mm -hmm. So those would be some considerations there. Um, if you're in an industry, you know, you have PFOS, I would say just, you know, start getting your ducks in a row. Um, and that might be just identifying that. What chemicals do you have? How are you reporting it under TRI right now? How is that going to affect what you're then going to be regulated under later for water waste? Maybe your air permit. So we're seeing these all come through. Um, so you can be a little bit proactive. Um, I would say, you know, as far as testing and how do you test, make sure anything that you're doing would be defensible. You know, I would talk with your your inside legal counsel strategy. If you all have, um, you know, folks that develop policy and um, comment on regulation, that you're talking with them too to see what they're commenting on what they think are what's moving forward over the next six, eight, 10 months. That's your short time frame, long time frame. And when you're talking about capital expenses, um, start proactively looking at what you're going to have coming down the road. Karen, one thing I heard you saying there, I just want to make sure I understand it, maybe highlight it is PFAS. I'll use the term PFAS inventory, I guess, maybe for the lack of a better term, like what inputs to my process could have PFAS, what outputs could have PFAS, both from a materials and then wastewater perspective, like essentially just getting an understanding of where the PFAS is in the system. Is that is that fair? That's That would be a, a, a great, fair statement. Um, okay. We can start with those. Um, inventory is just something that you can pull together. Um, is it going to be all-inclusive? Not the first time you do it. Um, so, is all that information like exact and perfect? No, make sure it's draft information. Make sure everybody understands it's preliminary information. Um, you know, even when you're talking to your regulators and they don't have regulations set up for this, talk to them in a preliminary way with the understanding that we might, we're going to add things to our, our design that maybe is not needed but we want to prepare for what may be coming down the road. Right. Okay. That's helpful. So Karen, looking at the waste side a bit. So some of the, some of the comments you just made about preparation is, is around water and greenfield and expansion. And, and that makes sense. Like, like you said, we've got MCLs, like you, we can, we can take a look at the water side of things right now when we have a project and seek to understand it. And, and like you said, proactively design around it design around the future, I guess. 
on the waste side, I'm curious about the timing of some of these regulatory developments. Um, do we have any sense for that? Just knowing that there are some regulatory developments we've heard about that's gonna that would turn. I mean, some of the things you hear are kind of wild, like every landfill turning into like a hazardous waste landfill because it has PFAS in it. Right. Uh, it's like how, so. What's the timing? <laughs> the timing on some of this stuff. You know, if if I had my, if I was looking into my crystal ball twenty four months ago, I would have said we would be within you know a year of it now. Um, looking at my crystal ball today, I would say um, I, it's fuzzy because okay. we have different people pushing um, for different outcomes. Um, but I will tell you what I'm hearing from a state level versus the federal level. So talking with state regulators, they're really hoping for a very um, slow Roll out, and I would not say to to keep things from happening, but more to understand what the consequences for each piece of new legislation, what that's going to look like. So, if you make PFAS hazardous waste, and now we have a bunch of solid waste landfills that now contain high amounts of PFAS, that you know because we've set a limit, and now they've got to go into corrective action for that. How how are you how are you working that through the system? Because that puts a big strain, um, maybe unnecessarily, into that to that sector. Um, it also then says you can't send anything else to that landfill that has that contains PFAS. Maybe, well, where else are you going to send it? And we don't have alternatives already set up. Mm-hmm. Because we're also looking at not wanting to burn it. Um, so, do you if you're if you can't incinerate it, you can't landfill it. What are you going to do? Um, so, put it in a, a hazardous waste landfill. Yes, then you stabilize it. But can we stabilize these particular com- uh, compounds? So, the technology may not be there. The capacity may not be there. So we may get stuck. You know, and so we're going to have to think through those regulations a little bit more. And I think that's what we're hearing from several states right now is we're the state saying we're going to be working with EPA, um, looking at their regional uh, administrators and seeing how they can develop that in a manner such that we're not all coming to a standstill. Um, You know, case in point, water treatment facilities that are giving you your wonderful um, treated water, drinking water that you drink every day, you know, they're going to be one of, they're going to have to then look at PFAS. Well, they already know, we already know we have PFAS in some of our drinking water. They're going to be treating it. Well, the materials that they treat it with was most likely activated carbon. That activated carbon is now going to be hazardous waste. The sludges, from your wastewater or your water treatment plant or your wastewater treatment plant that we used to take out and use beneficially on farms may not be able to go to farms because now we have a hazardous waste component in it. So where are we now taking that material? So there's all kinds of flip-flops that are going on of if we can't use it and take it here, and it may not be appropriate, 
or it may be appropriate. We, we haven't set those levels and those limits and those, that understanding of what we're going to be doing with this on a long-term basis. Yeah. But that's where we end up is kind of in the conundrum. Yes, we want to be safe. We want to make sure people are healthy. Um, now, how can we do this in a in a manner that doesn't stop the entire production of every facility across the U.S. just because we don't know what we're going to do with a particular one particular set of chemicals? Is that part of what's delaying some of the rulemaking? Do you think like is there these because surely these practical conversations are happening, right? These um, these conversations are happening daily. Yeah. Um, with state regulators and federal regulators, they're happening with leg- uh, you know the legislative bodies. Um, this is a lot of the delay right now because yeah. anything you put out will definitely definitely go back for consequences. have unintended consequences, but will automatically go under scrutiny, and we may see a lot of lawsuits around yeah. this. So I think they're trying to get it right. I don't know. I think, you know, part of this is going to be based on looking at the long term, looking at the consequences, and making sure the parties that are at the table are happy um, and can work through those those new um, terms mm-hmm. of how we're going to operate uh, going forward with this specific class of chemicals. Because not all of them operate or have the same consequences as others. Um, they are different chemicals. They have different side effects. They have different applicabilities. Um, we know that some do do have a toxicity to them. We do know others uh, may have less so. Um, but we've grouped them all as one, chem- one chemical group. So we're going to have to look at that and maybe pull some of those apart, do more research, there's some research that just hasn't been done, so we don't know. So there's a lot of things that are going on and a lot of pieces out there. So fuzzy, fuzzy uh, crystal ball at the moment. If we see something, I would say we're going to see it, and then there's going to be a lot of discussion around it. There's mm-hmm. going to be litigation around it to make sure that everybody's parsed, parsed it out and decided whether or not the the consequences are... I mean, that you can live through those. Mm-hmm. We probably have another word for that, but I don't know it at the moment. Yeah, I hear you. So, Karen, from a from a waste perspective, I've I've conversed with some regular state regulatory agencies recently, and I, I hear things about waste even outside of PFAS. Like, forget about the PFAS piece, but just from a waste treatment perspective in general, that there's capacity issues right now is that i mean is that a growing uh like you 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 see a lot of stuff out there across the country is this a growing problem or it's a problem that's always been there and it's just still there it's a growing problem regionally Regionally. um so um everything's local in waste disposal um we have capacity issues. If you look at the U.S. as a whole or you look at the world as a whole, we don't have disposal capacity issues. But if you start parsing out and looking at specific regions, you start seeing the the issue. If you're sitting in the Northeast, you're going to be shipping 
your waste further and further afield because the capacity for hazardous waste in certain areas of the Northeast is very slim. Um, so, and you can do that for solid waste too. It's not just hazardous waste. You can mm-hmm. do that for solid waste. Um, but what you see is that is very regionalized. So what happens um, is that there's still capacity. You just have to go further afield to find it. Yeah. So it may not be the place that you wanted it to be. So the cost goes up. Got it. Um, so it costs you more to dispose. It costs you costs you more to transport. Um, and then you may start making different decisions. Maybe you want to do that on site. Maybe you want to. Um, and that that's some of what companies will look at, whether they want to <laughs> operate their own internal hazardous waste landfill. Most of us don't. Um, most of us want to put it in a regional area where it's kept and it's it's disposed of properly and we all have an eye on it together. Um, so we're those are going to be issues. That's going to continue to be an issue. More people, more waste. We haven't, our population's going up, our waste goes up with it. Even if we're all doing our best to do the circular mm-hmm. economy, there's still more people. So therefore more waste. Yep. There's also a timing component too, I think, because of, of you know, there's there's certain thresholds for how long you can store and sometimes we're waiting for capacity and then we have to address that. Like, I, it's just interesting to me that all this stuff comes up even in the normal course of things, much less with, with PFAS being... Exactly. And I would say for for those who follow it, we've had over the past five five or so years points where EPAs put out advisories um, because certain certain industries, certain um, types of disposal operations are are overloaded. Yep. So we can talk about, let's say, incineration. Well, your permit require, you know, your permit requirements are such that you may be only able to process so much and then you're done for the year. So for particular um, parameters. One of those parameters may be mercury. So if your facility takes X amount of mercury in, you've you've hit your limit, you may not be able to process anything that has mercury in it thereafter um, for the remainder of the year until you flip over that calendar year. Well, that's going to back up anything coming in that normally gets processed there. So if a particular um, company is disposing of larger amounts of, of a waste from a waste cleanup. Let's take hurricanes, let's take, you know, natural disasters. And then you end up with a lot of solid waste that goes to solid waste landfills, but inevitably you end up with a certain amount of additional hazardous waste, or there's a big cleanup going on under Superfund and that gets moved at one particular point in the year locally that could change the availability for you to be able to use a particular site. Um, when that happens in combination with other people's activities, then you get this backup. Um, and yep. EPA has noted that. So there's been exceptions for storage of certain types of, of waste. Um, 
but all those exceptions have to be documented and you, you have to ask for them. And there is not a blanket statement. Oh, everybody can just store their waste longer. Um, there's very specific parameters to that. Got but it. It'll be continue because we're not building new facilities at an, mm-hmm. at a, at any type of rate. Um, new hazardous waste facilities, whether they be um, landfills or incinerators or other treatment are not being built very often. Well, and that, that gets into things we've, we've done other podcasts about like public interest, uh, environmental justice, that the, uh, hazardous waste treatment facilities are, are not popular. <laughs> well, no, Locally, generally speaking, no, they're not. They're not popular. Um, and for, I mean, not not that one needs to be in everybody's backyard, um, but they are part of doing business. Um, as in, yeah, we don't want everybody storing their own waste in their own backyard. You yep. know, as a as, as a public health issue we do need to have these facilities that are centralized that we can send stuff to, whether it be a solid waste landfill or a hazardous waste landfill. Um, there is a need for it because we don't want the opposite of that of just everybody um, digging a hole in their backyard and disposing of it on their own. Yep. So Karen, we talked about, programs and the developments and regulations within each of those. We talked about some ways that folks could be tracking these developments, some things we could be doing to proactively prepare. Uh, We did a bit of a deeper dive into the CERCLA and RECRA uh, potential aspects of, of PFAS. And then we really just got got diverted into a broader waste treatment capacity conversation, which I enjoyed. Um, so those are some of the things we've covered. I don't know. I have any other set topics. I'll, I'll just see if there's anything else around PFAS broadly, uh, any takeaways or anything that you would want the listeners to, uh, to know about beyond what we've discussed. Takeaways. Um, be patient. Um, the, these rules are going to change quite a bit over the next five years. It's not going to be a one-year process. It's not going to be a 20-year a, a process, but we will see something in the, the median of that and say, okay, this is the new normal for how we're going to be operating our facilities. So be patient. Um, I would also, some of the takeaways are to have frequent discussions with your consultants or, you know, the person you're getting your information from. So whether that's a, a podcast like this or webinars or you're reading the Federal Register, um, just make yourself aware of when things come out and how that may be affecting your particular industry. A lot of industries have associations, but keep that on their radar for it, for them to tell you how things are developing. Um, because when they do happen, they're going to have some very specific deadlines associated with them for coming into compliance. And that's going to be the biggest issue is when do you want to start spending for capital improvements? 
Good takeaways, Karen. Good input. I really enjoyed the conversation. We'll have to do another PFAS discussion. I don't know, maybe six months or so from now. Uh, We'll see how things play out. But I appreciate your insights. I appreciate your input. Appreciate all of our listeners as always. And I hope that you'll join us next time. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.